is the Get Book Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 295, and we are recording on August 24th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot, where it is 90 degrees in our respective states. Yeah. That's it. It's just so hot, y'all. The worst. I don't know if you know, but it's late summer. <laughs> what? It's like really toasty. Yeah. That's all. That's all I have. It's hot. I guess it is sort of the only way I know, like, what general sort of time we're in is mm. the weather. Yeah. I had a, um, I get the, like, the Axios morning roundup email, or maybe it was the morning brew. I don't remember. I get a couple of, like, morning news digests. And one of them was, like, the iced pumpkin spice version, like, this pumpkin spice cold cream at Starbucks has surpassed the pumpkin spice latte in sales. And I was like, right, because you roll it out in September, like September 1st, when it's still 90 degrees everywhere. And nobody wants to drink a freaking latte. Like, what is wrong with you? So there you go. Cold cream pumpkin spice. That sounds disgusting. I can't. I actually think that sounds amazing. And now I need to go find a Starbucks. When I get a pumpkin spice latte, which I get one a year, because I feel like I have to, because I live in suburbia. It's like, they don't let you back in if you don't at least have one. Mm. I have to get it with half the pumps. Of the syrup, because it's so mm. sweet. Mm. Anyway, thank you for coming to our Pumpkin Spice TED Talk. Um, <laughs> how this show works, we are a reading recommendations show, so you can send us your requests for reading recommendations to our email inbox, which is getbookedatbookriot.com, or you can also send us feedback if you have any, um, or you can use the form, which is in the bottom of the show notes on the site. If your question is time sensitive, please put it like in the subject line of your email. If you use the form, just put it in big letters uh, in the first line so that we will answer it on time. Also, as we have mentioned several several times now, our 300th episode upcometh in five weeks, because that's how math works. <laughs> and so we're going to do an AMA and ask us anything for that episode. We've gotten enough questions that we're probably going to have to do two AMAs. But if you have any any burning things you would like to know about Book Riot or the show or our opinions our, about our, pumpkin our, spice latte, <laughs> Jen's cats, you know, yeah. whatever. <laughs> if, you have, if you have questions, you can send those to us. Um, we have one piece of feedback today from Kat who says, I have some feedback for Jessica, who asked about circus books. Here We Are by Graham Swift is set in Brighton in the 1950s. It's not quite a circus, but a sideshow with magic and very atmospheric, so it could scratch the itch. Another one is Birchwood by John Banville, which is also a very atmospheric book in which a circus plays a role. Um, This is also suitable for the person looking for Irish books from a few episodes ago. Alrighty, I'm going to read our first question, and we will hear from our from our first sponsor, and away we will go. This first question <laughs> mentions pumpkin spice lattes. I just noticed. <laughs> it's so perfect. <laughs> okay, question one is from Jessica, who says, I'm looking for some great books to read in October. I love October so much, I'm already trying to plan my books for the month. Books I have read and loved. Mexican Gothic, The Year of Witching, The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires, Wilder Girls, and The Fireman. I love creepy, but not scary, and I love witches. Give me all the witches. I read A Secret History of Witches, but was not into it because it moved slowly and repeated the same story all through the book. I can't wait to curl up with a PSL and a good October book. Happy spooky season. Happy spooky season to you as well. And let's hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Disney Books. Do y'all like Caribbean mythology? 
what's more a thriller inspired by Caribbean mythology? If you do, I got something for you. A must-read thriller that draws from the darkest corners of Caribbean mythology from acclaimed author Sarah Das, who crafts a chilling tale of magic, murder, and how far we'll go to protect what's ours. It's perfect for fans of Angeline Bully and Tiffany D. Jackson. So, unlike other people on the small island of St. Virgil, Selena Da Silva does not believe in magic. She has a logical mind. She likes botany. She wants to study pharmacology. But then her mother gets sick and she's tethered to the island and she has to make money so what does she do she cons a couple gullible tourists with these useless talismans and phony protection rituals but then one of the tourists ends up dead and at the center of a strange string of murders and the truth selena has been denying can no longer be avoided there is evil lurking in the forest that surround St. Virgil. Now to find out what that evil is, make sure to pick up It Waits in the Forest by Sarah Das. And thanks again to Disney Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. All right, Jen, October books, go! I am so delighted that this question got asked because I have the perfect book for you. <laughs> it's The Library of the Dead by T.L. Huchu, which do you ever have this thing where you like put a book on hold through your library and then 100% forget about it? And then when the hold comes mm-hmm. in, you're like, I don't even, why did I put this book on my hold list? Yeah. Like, yeah. who knows? Maybe I'll read it anyway. And that's what happened to me with this book. And I can only thank whatever past events happened for having me requested because it's so good. It's the first in a new YA series. It just came out this year. And the publisher is describing it as Sixth Sense meets Stranger Things, which I think is like not entirely accurate, but it's also not entirely wrong. It takes place in a like sort of dystopic feeling, but also very like kind of could be now Edinburgh, where magic is just a thing. It's like part of life. And not only is that part of life, but there's like You have to be licensed to do certain things. There's all kinds of regulations and, you know, rules and organizations and bureaucracy. And our main character, Ropa, is a young black teenager who has dropped out of school. She comes from 
a line of women who can talk to ghosts. And her job is basically to be a messenger between the ghosts of Edinburgh and their families. And like she gets paid for carrying these messages. And she has like a beat. The ghosts know where and when to find her. Um, And sometimes like she can help one move on to the next, you know, whatever. But also her money comes from their unfinished business. So like it all works out fine. But then a ghost who she like doesn't want to talk to and who doesn't isn't able to pay her starts pestering her about her son who she says has gone missing. And this ghost is like this mother ghost is very concerned. And Ropa suddenly gets stuck into this whole mystery. She has to find out like who is, you know, stealing children. Terrible things are happening to them. Sometimes they come back. Sometimes they don't. But they're very wrong when they do come back. What is going on? And there's all kinds of just really new, interesting takes on what a an urban magical world might look like and how you might move through it. And the characters are so great. You have this like bunch of teenagers doing things they're not supposed to do, mm. getting involved in all kinds of like supernatural hijinks, lots of peril. And I really loved this first installment. It's not, it does, it is like mostly resolved, but there's definitely like, you know that there's a bigger bad than the one that gets taken down in this book. So I'm very excited for the next book, but it is not a cliffhanger. And so, yeah, so that's The Library of the Dead by T.L. Hutu. Oh, also a scarf plays like a very important role in this thing. Like it's very cold. This whole book is freezing. Like Mm. if I hadn't been reading it in the middle of the summer, I would have wrapped myself in a blanket while reading it. So I feel like it's a very good fall book. And again, The Library of the Dead by T.L. Huchu with content warnings for harm to children, as I already talked about. There's also a racist policing incident. So just know that going in. Okay, I'm recommending All the Murmuring Bones by A.G. Slatter again. Yes, get over (laughs) it. Um, I talked about it last week also, and I'm not sorry. Uh, This book comes with trigger warnings for incest and child abuse. Okay, so this is a perfect creepy but not scary. Like if you read The Mary Spinster, which I'm going to recommend later for a different question, um, it's kind of that sort of vibe. Uh, It is about a woman named Mirren whose family comes from a long line of O'Malley's. Um, And this is like an ancient family that exists in this kind of fantasy version of Ireland. And their family, their their, uh, matriarch, the founder of their line, so to speak, not so to speak, literally, made a deal with the mare, like the mer people who live in the ocean outside of this island, that um, they would, the mare would protect their ships that they use to make money, like their trading vessels and watch over their family, and in exchange, one child every generation would be sacrificed to the mere people to do with as they wish, and what they do is eat them. That's just what happens. But the O'Malley's become so wealthy and snooty and snobby and powerful that they only allow their children to marry each other, so they become very, like, deluded in the in that kind of incesty way, and eventually they stop having children, so they can't fulfill their promises to the mere people. The mayor stop protecting their ships. They fall into poverty and disrepair. And this is where the family is when we are introduced to the main character, Mirren. Her grandparents have just died, and she is like the last O'Malley. She's living in this crumbling, very Edgar Allan Poe-ish kind of estate. And she decides she's going to leave and go find the rest of her family who left years ago under mysterious and secretive circumstances. She's going to go find them and try to rebuild and start over and like kind of try to break this curse in a way that doesn't involve murdering kids. Like that would be nice. Let's find a way to do this differently. You know, let's be better. (laughs) Let's evolve. 
And along the way, she encounters various and sundry monsters from Irish folklore and has to outsmart them or um, avoid being eaten or whatever it is. It depends on the thing that's in front of her, right? And so it's very mystical. There's lots and lots of witches, including our main character um, and her mother and I think her grandmother. Lots of all of the women. And Mirren is a fantastic main character for a book like this because she's not stupid. (laughs) You know, like sometimes you get into a book where a character goes on a great journey and they just keep making idiotic mistakes the whole time. And you're like, oh my gosh, if you don't use two brain cells, like I cannot deal with you. Um, But she is not (laughs) like that. She has more than two brain cells. She uses them all. Um, She's very clever and has that like great survival overcoming kind of instinct. And there are beasties everywhere. So that is All the Murmuring Bones by A.G. Slatter. All right. Our next question is from Anonymous, who says, I recently read The God of Small Things by Arundhati Roy, and I absolutely loved it. It also made me realize how little I have read books by Indian authors that take place in India. Do you have any recommendations? I read pretty much any genre, though in this case I would prefer no YA or romance. I know this is a pretty broad question, but I'm hoping you can help. We can help. First of all, (laughs) we have a great post on the site about books set in India. So I'm going to link that for you in the show notes. Definitely check those out. And my pick for you is The Henna Artist by Alka Joshi. Uh, It does come with content warnings for intimate partner violence and infertility and miscarriage. And both of those things are pretty big themes throughout the book. So if you do not want to hear about things that include that, skip ahead. So our main character, Lakshmi, is living in post-partition India. And I think it's like the 1950s. And she has fled her abusive marriage. And like she was in this rural village, she's left there, she's now in Jaipur, and she is a henna artist. And she's also doing like, you know, herbalist stuff. She has a lot of plant skills. Plant skills? That's a weird way to say what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. Anyway, she does home remedies and uh, in addition to henna, and she's very much in demand by both the uppercased women and the marginalized in Jaipur. And she's like very successful and, you know, she's like aiming for individual independence at the same time that all this big, you know, independent stuff is going on in India. But then her husband shows up with also a younger sister she did not know she had. And everything kind of goes from there. And so, yeah, this is very much about what it is like in Jaipur, what it is like in this moment in Indian politics. And you get this view of, especially through this upwardly mobile character, the different castes and, you know, social classes and all of that stuff. Uh, And and then extremely atmospheric as well. So lots of good stuff. Um, It was also, I keep forgetting this, it was picked by Reese Witherspoon for, you know, one of her book clubs last year. So there's that. And again, that's The Hannah Artist by Alka Joshi. All right. I picked Gym Patrol on the Purple Line by Deepa Anapara, which has a trigger warning for harm to children. Um, I picked this up when it was longlisted for the Women's Prize last year. And it is so unexpected and interesting. So it's about a a little boy named Jai. Like uh, he is, I think, eight or 10. And he lives in a very, very poor rundown neighborhood in India that sits on the outskirts of a very wealthy neighborhood. So his neighborhood is quite poor and it's in like a slum. 
And then, like, right next door are these high-rises where all these wealthy people live. Um, And he goes to school, and he's obsessed with, like, police TV shows, like, police procedural, like, law and order kind of stuff. And so what he does is watch those shows and go to school, and that's it. And he's got two best friends, Pari and Faiz. And when one of their classmates goes missing suddenly during school day, he decides that he is going to solve this crime or solve this mystery using the skills that he has learned from watching police procedurals. And so he recruits his two best friends and off they go to solve the mystery of like what happened to this child. But it continues to get worse. More children go missing and they keep getting closer to his neighborhood. Like every child that goes missing is from closer and closer and closer to his home. And he, you know, is like kind of sneaking around. Like his parents don't know exactly what he's doing, that he's like out there trying to get involved in this horrifying case. But eventually they catch on and so they forbid him from going out, but he breaks the rules because eventually his sister goes missing. And so he's very intent on solving uh, this crime and saving his sister. It is deeply unlike most books that you're going to read with like that very precocious child narrator because he is not smarter than the adults or and isn't pretending to be smarter than the adults around him, which I think is a weird trope that we get from books narrated by children, where, like, the kids always know more than the adults in this, like, kind of weird way. But that is not what's happening here. And it is, it's super, super dark and very much an exploration of class differences in India. Like, the the juxtaposition of his neighborhood and the wealthy neighborhood becomes a really important plot point that I will not go into because of spoilers. But it is based on real incidences that happen in metropolitan India and is so fast-paced. And, like, you think you're here for, for, for kind of, like, a cozy mystery. It is not, it is not that. It is not cozy. There is no coziness to be had here. So that is Gym Patrol on the Purple Line by Deepa Anapara. Okay, question three is from Kelsey, who says, I am a streamer on a website called Twitch. <laughs> Thank you for saying on a website called Twitch, like <laughs> as if we didn't know. Which, that's a fair assumption that we I would mean, not I know what Twitch old, is. I am old, so. Right? <laughs> I am a streamer on a website called Twitch and have decided that in the new year, I would like to do some 30-minute read-with-me streams. So after reading the story, we can all chat about it together. I feel like short stories would definitely work best for this, so I was hoping you would have some recommendations. Twitch is primarily aimed at gamers, so fantasy, sci-fi, horror, and comedy would probably work best, although I'm always up for suggestions. I'm going to let Jen go first because she has a good disclaimer here. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. so I can't tell if this is what you meant when you wrote this question, Kelsey, but please don't read books out loud on Twitch and get sued because that is what will happen. You are literally prohibited by copyright from reading from books that are not in the public domain Mm -hmm. on air. Like, that's not allowed. So please don't do that. (laughs) Like, you know, tell people what to read and then talk about it, but do not read from the books on air. Okay, Mm -hmm. that's my disclaimer. (laughs) So I know you wanted short stories. I'm giving you a novel because I just felt like it was too perfect not to recommend for, like, a gamer book club. It's Firebreak by Nicole Corner-Stace, who longtime listeners will know I'm a fan of. I have recommended Archivist Wasp many a time. And this is Corner Stace's new book. And it is, like, very in the ballpark of Ready Player One, also sort of Black Mirror and, like, cyberpunk. Like, there's all kinds of cool things going on here. Also, uh, War... Ooh, what was it called? War Break? The Marie Lu book. War Cross? War Cross. Thank War- you. War Cross. Mm-hmm. All of those things. So it's set in, like, the 2130s in America that has... 
devolved and become run entirely by corporations. Surprise! And their conditions are like very bad in the place where Mallory, our main character, lives. Uh, and one of the ways that you can try to get by in this world where like water is strictly rationed, there's not a lot of food, it's cold and drafty, and they live in like concrete bunkers. So Mallory spends as much time as possible playing this game Sec Ops on this best life reality virtual platform. So she's a gamer and you get tips in the game from people who watch your stream. Hey, uh, (laughs) for like doing cool stuff and providing, you know, interesting viewing as they play the game. And there are these super soldiers who in the game are super hard to spot and find. So if you find one, like everybody gets very excited, you get lots of tips. And so that's what you're spending a lot of your time doing as well as playing the actual game. And Mallory actually manages to run into one in this like very fleeting encounter and gets a bunch of money for it and then gets a mysterious corporate gig out of it. And everything gets even weirder from there. And this is definitely one of those like... You're in the game, and then you're in the world, and the contrast between the two is really stark and also very complicated in the ways that they connect. And Mallory is like a very sort of take-no-BS character who is also like very... Like, she's so annoyed by her best friend in a way that I find very familiar from when I was a teenager. It just sort of makes me laugh. (laughs) Um, And there's, like, good supporting characters, and I don't know. It's all kinds of fun. I will say, though, that if you're not in the mood for a dystopic, like, vision of future corporate overlordship, (laughs) maybe don't read this. But otherwise, again, I think this would be perfect for a gamer book club. So, again, that's Firebreak by Nicole Corner-Stace. Okay, I picked uh, The Merry Spinster by Daniel M. Lavery. You may find it listed under Mallory Ortberg, which is Daniel's dead name, but that was what it was printed under. So this is a collection of short stories that you should absolutely not read on air, (laughs) but could read together and like have a discussion after you read each one or whatever that are like retellings of classic fairy tales or are based on classic fairy tales. So there's like a very creepy retelling of The Little Mermaid, which is already very creepy. Like the (laughs) the original version of The Little Mermaid is not pleasant or romantic or nice. It's really gross. And all of them are hilarious at the same time. So you're going to get like, you know, like you're going to make cringy, don't turn the lights off at night face, but you will also probably laugh quite a bit. And, and there are many stories in here that are retellings of fairy tales or like folk tales that I had never even heard of. So I would go back and like read the originals and then read Daniel's version and have like that comparison thing in my head. And I think that that would be a lot of uh, opportunities for discussion because there will be, you know, fairy tales or folk tales that other folks who are watching your stream have probably read that you've never even heard of. Um, and then you can compare them and talk about them that way. But if it's it's quite spooky, and I think it hits. There's a lot of that like combo of fantasy horror com um, comedy happening in almost in like every story. Also, the Peter Rabbit one is super creepy. I don't. They're just oh. all really really creepy. Ugh. I know, right? <laughs> I have no stuffed rabbits in my house now. I will just say that. <laughs> um, so that is the Mary Spinster by Daniel M. Lavery. My teeth hurt whenever I think about that short oh, story huh? collection. <laughs> Ugh, body heart. Okay. Our next question is from Ariel, who says, I work as a secretary at a high school library, and we get a lot of students asking for books similar to A Child Called It by Dave Pelser. I personally haven't read it, so I'm struggling. 
Any suggestions for some read-alikes that would be high school appropriate? So this question, so interesting. (laughs) The first book is not high school appropriate. (laughs) Well, exactly. But also, I do remember when all of my teenage friends were obsessed with that book. Like I I read it in high school, too. Yeah, I 100% remember that moment. And I think, I was thinking, I was like, what is it that is so compelling to mm-hmm. teenagers about that book. And so my my theory is that obviously it is like an extreme account of abuse and then somebody triumphing over mm-hmm. that extreme abuse. I have weird feelings about that book because of mm-hmm. I worry that it like I mean I haven't read it in decades so I have no idea if this is true but I feel like the feeling that it would accompany it as teenagers it's like a little bit like sensationalizing in a way mm-hmm. like it's like I don't know it's like trauma the word I won't say p it mm-hmm. starts with a p but anyway anyway aside from all of that I was trying to think of books that like are maybe a little more nuanced and don't depict as extreme circumstances of abuse, but do depict somebody triumphing over like very intense circumstances as a child and going on to become, you know, successful and as an adult. So I am recommending Educated by Tara Westover, which obviously content warnings for child abuse. <laughs> Tara is the daughter of sort of mm, cult survivalists who grew up in rural Idaho in the mountains and, you know, were not allowed to seek medical treatment. They were not educated. They had, like, very hard scrabble existence and just completely isolated and not interacting with the outside world at all. Uh, All kinds of bad violence happened in that family in addition to the isolation and deprivation. But Tara, you know, starts to educate herself. She teaches herself math and grammar. She gets admitted, like, against all odds to Brigham Young University and learns for the first time about things that she has never, she has literally never heard of, like, for example, the Holocaust, which is, like, Mm, a pretty big deal. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, an extreme deprivation in a lot of different ways. And then, you know, she becomes a successful adult. She goes to Harvard and Cambridge and, like, travels the world and, you know, really begins to understand what she missed as a child. And so I think that that, again, like, it's not the same as a child called it, but I'm hoping it will give them sort of the same story arc and uh, a little more contemporary, modern, nuanced look at these topics. So again, that's Educated by Tara Westover. Yeah, I thought about this for a long time because I read it in high school. All of my friends read it in high school. And the thing that I think, I mean, it's definitely the sensationalism and like the drama of it. But I think teenagers specifically are drawn to the um, like power almost that the author has in the end. Like he Mm. goes through all of this awful abuse from an adult, but then ends up overcoming. And I think that really speaks to that feeling of powerlessness that teenagers have when they Mm. are... They look like adults, but they can't make their own choices or control anything about their own lives. So I think that that narrative, there's something about that. Anyway, so I picked White Oleander by Janet Fitch, which I also read the same year that I read A Child Called It. And I never put the two together, but the main character in White Oleander does the same sort of thing. Like she's she's the victim of some extreme abusive, extremely abusive circumstances, but she's independent through the whole thing. And she's narrating it to you, which is the same thing, you know, a child called it because it's a memoir. Um, so White Oleander comes with trigger warnings for child abuse, obviously, and also suicide. So this is about a girl named Astrid, who when the book opens is a young child, and her mother Ingrid is a very famous poet. 
and her mother, Ingrid, murders a boyfriend <laughs> out of, like, jealous rage and gets arrested and taken to prison and sentenced to, like, life. And so Astrid is put into the California foster care system. And you are just with her as she bounces from foster home to foster home to foster home. As she gets a little bit older, then she starts going to, like, residential homes, as teenagers often end up going to because they're harder to place because nobody wants older kids. And in each home, she has, like, a series of obstacles like, for example, in one home she ends up in, there's forced labor and the children aren't fat enough. In another one, she ends up with an actress and her husband who are lovely and really quite want to, like, want to adopt her and all of that. And then that all falls apart. So she's just got constant struggles and abuse to overcome. And the whole time she's going back and forth to visit her mother in prison over the years, depending on, like, where she is and what home she's in and, like, what, you know, how the, the, foster parents respond to her going to visit her mother and her mom manipulates her and her foster parents from outside like from prison finds ways to keep control of her child and it's just she's a total sociopath which fascinates me i don't know that's i feel like that's weird to say like she's a fascinating sociopath but she is she's a fascinating and in the book i mean in the movie version michelle pfeiffer plays her and is like nails it like stone cold no facial expressions nails it but this you know, eventually she she does. It's got that same thing as the child called it, where like she becomes she comes into her own. She becomes an adult. She discovers her own power, which mostly happens when she leaves when she ages out of the system and like can start making her own choices. But I feel like it's got a similar you know kind of vibe. And I literally read them back to back in high school, so I think that your students will will find a connection there. So that's White Oleander by Janet Fitch. Okay, next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal. Join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the critic Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. 
it kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. All right. Question five is great because it's one sentence and I love these so much. It's from Olivia <laughs> who says, I love classics like Jane Austen, but I've read them too much. Any suggestions? Love it. Jen, what do you got? <laughs> All right. So I went back and forth on this because there are some modern Jane Austen reinterpretations that I really adore that I was very tempted to recommend to you. But that's not I don't think that's actually what you're asking for. So instead of doing that, I'm going to try to do the thing you want, which is give you a classic that I think is adjacent. So my pick for you is Vanity Fair by William Makepeace Thackeray. And here's why. So I think it kind of depends on what it is that you love about Jane Austen, because I think there are some people who love Jane Austen for the like romancy part, which is fine and legit. And I like that part of Jane Austen. But what I love about Jane Austen and why I've read the book so many times is how snarky she is. Mm -hmm. Like, I think a lot of people who maybe are not as well versed in the politics of the time don't catch the jokes. But there are so many like corner of the mouth, sarcastic remarks about class and men and women. And like, oh, man, Jane Austen is just like skewering the society of the time in this very low key way. And that's one of my favorite things about Austen. So I don't know if that's one of your favorite things about Austen, but if it is, Vanity Fair does it not low key. Like Vanity Fair does that high key. And I love Becky Sharp. <laughs> I just <laughs> love her. Also, I'm, I'm going to do it. I was prepping for the question this morning and in my head I was like, Becky Sharp. Doo -doo 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 -doo. <laughs> like I, I just was so excited to talk about Becky Sharp. So... Sorry for the earworm. She is an orphan who, by hook and crook, gets herself attached to a schoolmate who is like a very Austin-y sort of young woman, Amelia, um, who comes from a very wealthy family. And Becky ingratiates herself with Amelia and like manages to basically tag along and uh, benefit from the wealth that Amelia's family has. But she's doing it like very deliberately because she has come from nothing and she doesn't want to go back to that. And so she's going to do whatever she has to do, whoever that hurts, to keep herself well off. And... You see her adventures, and through her adventures, Thackeray, you know, sort of, again, skewers and explores class and wealth and all of these different issues um, from that era. And, like, some people just straight up hate Becky Sharp. Some people love mm -hmm. to hate Becky Sharp. Some people love her. So, you know, I don't know where you're going to land on that. But, again, if you love, like, the class examination and the forceful female characters, I think you should give Vanity Fair a shot. Again, that's by William Makepeace Thackeray. Okay, I am recommending Elizabeth Gaskell, who is an author and not a book. Um, it was a bit <laughs> later than Jane Austen, slightly. And Elizabeth Gaskell writes very similarly. She's got the same kind of, like, a lot of her characters are in genteel country poverty. Um, and a lot of her characters are undergoing some romantic drama or angst and, or, you know, pearl clutching. But the thing that I really love about Elizabeth Gaskell is that she is a bit of a socialist. <laughs> like, Well, that's probably overstating. She is 
more interested in the macroeconomics of her country than Jane Austen was. Jane Austen was very interested in the micro, like the household economics and like mm. the economic position of women specifically and the things that they had to do to maintain economic security. Elizabeth Gaskell is concerned with that, but she also wants to write you a book about unions, you know, and like she wants to talk about the Industrial Revolution and its impacts on milliners in Northern England. Like, but she weaves all of that, all of this political and economic commentary into, you know, these these vignettes, like Jane Austen writes, of genteel poverty and aristocrats and just really funny and relatable and interesting characters in the countryside or oftentimes not in the countryside oftentimes in like quickly rapidly industrializing par- portions of the countryside that aren't going to be that way for much longer um so if you like jane austen you like the romance you know you like the um the kind of smart snark and the humor and you just want it dialed up a little bit on the politics this is elizabeth gaskell is your lady so i don't even have a like she wrote several books any of them any of them pick one it doesn't matter um she's got some that are shorter if you want to start there but i'm just recommending the author to you so yeah All right. Our next question is from Susan, who says, I'm in the middle of reading Lonesome Dove, and I'm already dreading the time when it will end. Can you recommend similar books that have strong character building? It doesn't necessarily need to be a Western. I prefer books on the longer side, since I tend to read books pretty quickly. Also, I would like to read more of Larry McMurtry's books, but he's written so many of them. Not sure where I should start. Any thoughts? I thought about this question so much. I, too, am a Lonesome Dove fan, although I have to confess I've never read anything else by Larry McMurtry, so I could not recommend you anything mm-hmm. else in that you know, author's oof, so sorry. But I was thinking, like, what is it that makes that book so compelling? And like you said, the characters, but also, you know, the journey, like capital J journey. And so I'm recommending Future Home of the Living God by Louise Erdrich. Content warning. Harm to pregnant women. It is deeply concerned with pregnancy and reproduction. It's a weird book, y'all. It (laughs) takes place in a future in which everything is like sort of devolving in that evolution is going in reverse. So like dinosaurs have reappeared and also women are giving birth to infants who appear to be more closely related to like neanderthals than our current biology and our main character is cedar hawk song maker she is uh has been adopted by this uh, minneapolis family and her life is like very in flux because she is pregnant and like living in this time when like who knows what's gonna happen and she also because she's adopted she does not really know much about her own history and there's all these reasons why that is obviously extremely important so she goes to try to she goes back to the Ojibwe reservation to try to find her birth mother and like find about her own biology is as in the hopes that it will tell her something about what's going to happen to her child and in the meantime there's all of this intense stuff going on around children the children being born and like medical experiments and regulations by the government and like roving street gangs and like things are very frontiersy and that it's like a breakdown of law and order and she goes on a capital J journey and i think that you will find this immersive and gritty and 
Yeah, just like as compelling as you're finding Lonesome Dove, um, but in a much more like modern sense. And also written by a Native author, which let's remember is important to think about Mm -hmm. when we're thinking about Westerns. Uh, So again, that's Future Home of the Living God by Louise Erdrich. I picked The Sun by Philip Meyer, um, which I forgot about until I read this question. I think my subconscious buried it because it's so like brutal. Like, <laughs> let's just forget that that. So this comes with trigger warnings. All the books today, all of the books come with trigger warnings for torture and harm to children. All of my books have harm to children in them. I picked this because it is a multi-generational family saga of the West in a similar way to Lonesome Dove. It is extremely brutal. I, I mean, like scenes that will stick with you and have stuck with me for a long time. So it opens in 1849. Texas has like very recently be- become the Republic of Texas. It has become the thing that it is. And the main character Eli is 13, um and he lives on a like a ranch, a homestead with his family. A tribe of Comanches come to his home and murder his family and they take him captive. And so he lives with them for many years and you are kind of like with him as he loses a sense of his original family and like loses his narrative about who he is as a person and starts to kind of adapt to survive to living with this entirely different culture and oftentimes having to like kill white people (laughs) because this is his family now, you know? And it's like very complicated and interesting and hard and like violent, super, super violent. And eventually he leaves If I remember correctly, I think his family gets smallpox or something like that. Anyway, something really bad happens to his family um, and he leaves and he goes like off into like back into white people culture to try to make his way. And you you follow him as he's doing this. Right. And then also his son, whose name is Peter, who does not live up to this for obvious reasons, overblown idea that his father has of what masculinity should look like. And then you also follow his great-granddaughter, Eli's great-granddaughter, who is present day. She lives in the present day, and she is taking over the family business, which, of course, became oil. So his family um, was established in Texas. He helped establish this oil company. Uh, Eli did the main character. And then his various and sundry family members have taken it, have inherited it. They've all kind of bungled it. And then this woman is going to take it, his great-granddaughter. And so you are with this entire family and all of their trauma. Like, everybody's got trauma for all, right? (laughs) Like, just everybody. But the the great-granddaughter is my favorite character. Her name is J.A. And she is so tough and, like, commands the respect of of her grandfather and really frightens a lot of her family members. She's, in a lot of ways, Eli kind of born again. Um, in this like toughness and this grit that she's got. It's a very Texas vibe, you know, or at least let me rephrase. It's a very what Texas thinks they are vibe as opposed to reality. And I just loved it. And I'm like, I'm, you know, real sensitive to bad things happening to kids in books. I actually, I really don't love reading super violent things. I was very suspicious of the depiction of the Comanche Indians in this book. Like I went into it like, hmm. I'm ready to be like real pissed off about this. And somehow I wasn't like, I I feel like the author, the author is white, but I think he handled it like he, this is a thing that happened in history, right? Like sometimes the tribes in the West would take white people captive and like they would live with them. And that's hard to write (laughs) in a way that's not horrifyingly offensive when you are a modern white author. And so I would love if any of you out there are indigenous or Native American and have read this and have like a different opinion, please let me know because I'm, I'm happy to be wrong about this. Um, but I think he handled it pretty well. But it's this, you know, multi-generational, just brutal look at the things that families had to twist themselves into to, to justify what we did in Texas in taking Texas. 
um, and, and like living there and making it what it is now. So that's The Sun by Philip Meyer. Okay, question, our last question is from Maria, who says, It seems I love books with unlikable or just downright angry female characters. I've read The Woman Upstairs, Fates and Furies, Gone Girl, Girl Under the Train, uh, Luckiest Girl Alive, How to Be a Good Wife, Green Girl, and Housefrau. What, if anything, is left out there for me? All right, Jen, what you got? Oh, friend, There's, there are many books for you. So also, shout out to Amanda for finding this question for me because I read the book I'm going to recommend on vacation and I was like, Amanda, I need you to find me a question so I can talk about this book. So here we are. I am recommending They All Fall Down by Rachel Housel Hall, who I have been meaning to read for like years now and finally found the time. And who boy, this book is a ride. The main. Ca- oh, wait. Content warnings. Uh, this book is extremely dark, like many of the books that mm-hmm. Maria named. There is a reference to teenage suicide, plus like a lot of other dark things, including racism and cyberbullying and child abuse and just like a, an eating disorders. Like it's it it's it is very dark and possibly very triggering. So know that going in. So our main character, Miriam, is both unlikable and angry. She is <laughs> fresh off a sort of Miss, she she's she's not really telling us the full story from the get jump, but she's fresh off some kind of confrontation where she has been injured, and like the police are like calling her to be like, "What happened last night?" And she's ignoring their calls. She's trying to call her lawyer. He's not answering. In the meantime, she is getting on a boat because she has been invited to be part of this like secret new reality show that's going to film on a private island o- off the coast of Mexico, and she. Could could potentially win like a huge amount of money and she is strapped for cash so she's like great she's also very angry because her ex-husband has a like wife who he cheated on her with when they were married and her teenage daughter has like sent her this text that's like I hate you like she's she's in conflict with her family and nothing is going right for her and she's like all right well I don't deserve any of this and I'm going to go get paid and then you'll all see. Like, you'll all see how great I am when I'm on TV and winning money and like, this is going to be my glory moment. And there's six other strangers who are of like varying degrees of shadiness. Like, she's like, mm-hmm. who are these people and what is going on? They get to the island. She finds out there is no reality show that like... They've all been brought there under false pretenses. Nobody actually knows why they're there for sure. And then people start dying. It is like a locked island murder mystery entirely peopled with unlikable characters. And it's amazing. Like, I could not look away. I could not stop reading. Even though with every page, I was like, Miriam, what is wrong with you? Like, what is wrong with all of you? Like, that is extremely the feeling. And Housel Hall does it so well. Also, I think it was the dedication that made me laugh so hard because she dedicated the book to like a a creative writing professor who was like telling her like to stop ruining fancy British things with her Americanness. And so and and that is basically like she's like, I'm going to take Agatha Christie and I'm going to put a lot of like American like racial and class and whatever politics on top of it, like enjoy. And it is extremely enjoyable if you like that kind of thing, which it turns out I do. And I think, Maria, you will love it. So, again, that's They All Fall Down by Rachel Housel Hall. 
Okay, I picked In the Garden of Spite by Camilla Bruce, which has trigger warnings for domestic violence and miscarriage. And this is the angriest lady angry book that could possibly exist because she's a serial killer who (sighs) just kills a lot of men. (laughs) And this is based on a real woman who was named uh, Belle Sorensen, and she lived in Chicago in 1900. She was an immigrant from Norway who came to the U.S. and then just killed a bunch of dudes and then disappeared in 1908. Like no one was never seen from again, which I find so fascinating. So this is about a girl named Brynhilda. She lives in Norway. She's, I think, 16-ish when the book opens. She has gotten herself wrapped up in an affair with a farmer's son. And she is of the social class where a farmer's son is, like, quite above her. She finds herself pregnant and decides that that means they have to get married. And so obviously she goes to the farmer's son and is like, I am pregnant. We are going to get married. And he is like, LOL, nah. Um, And so she threatens to go to the local church to, like, force him to marry her. And in retaliation, he beats her almost to death and she miscarries. This is not a spoiler. This happens, like, first chapter. And so in her recovery, she decides that she is done living in Norway. This is a tiny village that she's never going to escape from. No one is going to marry her now. You know, like, she's got no, no way out. So she decides to go to America to join her sister, who left a few years ago. And so that's what she does. She gets on the boat. She renames herself Belle, and she moves to Chicago. And on the boat, she decides that she's never going to find herself in this position again of poverty and being, you know, like uh, beholden to the whims of some man. And so she puts an ad in the newspaper for a husband. And like all of these men start showing up. Some of them mysteriously disappear. And the the thing that I love about this book is that it, it goes back and forth between Belle, who is a sociopath, like has no empathy, has no qualms about doing what she's doing. Part of it is out of survival, like a sense of survival. Part of it is just out of like revenge against men in general. And her sister, who is a normal person, (laughs) who does not kill anyone, and like just like has a kid and does the laundry for the neighborhood men. And is just like a nice lady trying to get along um, in Chicago. And her sister can tell that something is wrong and can tell that like, the girl who has come to her is not the girl she left in Norway. And not just because something bad happened to her, but like some, there's like nothing behind the eyes. You know what I mean? And so she has to, she's the most fascinating character to me because she has to like talk herself out of knowing what she knows, like of seeing what she's seeing in her sister and putting it together. She had no, like my sister would never do that. Like she's doing all of that. Like, my sister, the serial killer, you know, kind of thing where like, she's justifying it to herself. She's trying to pretend like it's not happening. And their relationship is really, I think, the most interesting part of this book. But Belle is very angry and not likable because she's a serial killer. And we don't like serial killers. So that is In the Garden of Spite by Camilla Bruce. And that is our show. A dark one. It is a dark one. This week, like, quite. I felt like all through the pandemic, all we got was like, I want romance. I want light books. I want funny. And now people are like, I want death. Like, (laughs) just scary, scary, scary. I guess because we're going into October. Anyway, thank you to our audio editor, Jen Zink. Thank all of you for listening. You can find more book recommendations at bookriot.com and find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. You can leave ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Please do that. It makes the show easier to find for other folks. Thank you to our sponsors. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. Where's Jen? I am on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And you can find me on Instagram at I am Jen IRL. And we will be back next week. 